Warning, some things in our podcast may not be suitable for everyone. We talk about cults and murders, and due to the nature of our podcast, may use harsh language at times. Viewer's discretion is advised. And also, we can't pronounce anything. Hi guys, welcome to Cults and Crime. I'm Jamie. And I'm Nicole. And this week, we're going to talk about the Order of the Solar Temple. This organization was really fascinating because of their obsession with the Knights of the Templar. The Order of the Solar Temple is a French organization founded by Jean de Mabreau and Luc Jornet. Luc Jornet was born October 18, 1947 in a Belgian colony in South Africa. His parents were Belgian and eventually moved back to their home country, allowing Luc Jornet to attend the Free University of Brussels, a new city that was founded on the ideals of free thinking. Jeanette would have graduated with a medical degree, but not before he was put on a watch list for his involvement in the Wantoon Communist Youth. He briefly joined the army before retiring and taking an interest in homeopathy. In France, homeopathy is a lot more respected than it is in the United States. In fact, it's only recently that the government stopped reimbursing patients for seeking homeopathic remedies over more traditional ones. Jeanette was eventually qualified as a homeopathic practitioner and traveled to other countries to increase his knowledge of alternative medicine. In 1981, Jeanette was affiliated with the Renewed Order of the Temple, an occult order that would lay a little of the groundwork for the Order of the Solar Temple. He also met Joseph de Marbro, who would share many of his ideals and together they would form the order. Joseph de Marbro had a very different upbringing than Jeanette. While Jeanette was a college educated, de Marbro never attended college, and he grew up in France. So to make money, he became a jeweler and a watchmaker, which was actually a very lucrative and respected profession at the time. What de Marbro and Jeanette did have in common, however, was their interest in the occult. De Marbro joined the ancient and mythical order of the Rosé Crusade in 1956. He was an avid member and would even become the head of the order's lodge in Nimes. He would leave the order in 1969 for a new organization that would become known as the New Age. So Jamie, how many organizations were he, like, was he in? It seems like he was kind of like the pick of the ball. <laughs> I'm not quite sure the exact number, but he was known as like professional cult leader. Oh my god, that's a profession? Yeah, he would jump from cult to cult, you know, be the lodge leader here, founder there, member here, until he eventually ended up with the Order of the Solar Temple. In 1973, he founded the Center for the Preparation of the New Age. He even started a commune for the New Age called La Pyrene in Switzerland. La Pyrene would change into the Golden Foundation in just two short years. During this time, de Marbo focused on teaching and leading the group. He also began to develop his own identity as a representative of the Great White Brotherhood. Jamie, that sounds like a, like a Nazi organization. Was it a Nazi organization? While the Order of the Solar Temple and de Marbro was kind of associated just through the Templar Association with Nazis, this wasn't a Nazi thing. The Great White Brotherhood are actually a group of evolved beings that many believe have guided the human race. Also at this time, he developed the idea of reincarnation. This would be the pillar stone of the Order of the Solar Temple's ideology. De Marbro believed he was the reincarnation of several notable historical figures, including Moses. So it was the pairing between De Marbo and Jornet that would really end up making this group so successful. They each had their own part in the organization. De Marbo would design the rituals and the practices. 
and Jorette, who was already a popular lecturer on holistic healing, would travel the world and would select members that he would invite into the order. To be a member of the order, it was invite only. It was a large part due to the high secrecy of the group, but also due to the order's beliefs. Luke Jorette believed he and the members of the Order of the Solar Temple were reincarnations of the White Brotherhood, that throughout history they had been reincarnated time and time again during crucial times in history, that their job was to borrow human bodies and warn of a pending apocalypse, then disappear back into the cosmos. So that's probably going to ring a few bells with you guys. We talked about something similar with Reverend Sung Young Moon, where the leader would give himself a great title, a cosmic purpose, and because of that, absolute authority. Also, like Moon, he gave his followers a divine purpose as well, making them also reincarnated heroes, but obviously not as much power as he had. One of the most normal reincarnations that the group talked about the most was the Knights of the Templar. The Knights of the Templar was a Catholic military order founded in 1119. Their goal was to protect the pilgrims on their march to the Holy Land. Over time, they switched more from protection to banking. They are actually credited for being the world's first multinational corporation. They built over 2,000 fortifications across Europe and the Holy Land. They were incredibly popular during the Holy War. Once the Holy War was lost, they lost popularity. King Philip IV of France was deeply indebted to the order. In order to not pay his debts, he soon mistrusted wrong the populace. Rumors started to spread about the order's secret initiation ceremonies, and pressure began to mount. In 1312, Pope Clement V disbanded the order and the Knights of the Templar became the stuff of legends and speculation. We obviously have seen this a lot in modern times. We've seen it in movies like The National Treasure, Indiana Jones, and video games like Assassin's Creed. The legend still lives on, and this is what the Order of the Solar Templar was built on. The order had a top rank of 33 members known as the Elder Brothers of the Rosy Cross. These members were thought to be the true descendants of the Knights of the Templar. They had lodges in many different countries, but had their head office in Zurich, Switzerland. The other lodges were run by regional commanders and three elders. The members were organized by levels and grades, and the levels were the Brothers Parvis, the Knights of the Alliance, and the Brothers of Ancient Times. In order to grow in rank, you had to pay an initiation fee and buy expensive robes and jewelry. The robes were styled after the crocheted robes, and they had gold jewelry and adornments. You were also supposed to hold the sword that was given to you by DiMombro. DiMombro claimed this was an authentic artifact of the Templars that he had been given in one of his many previous lives. In 1982, DiMombro had a child who he named Emanuele. As soon as the child was born, DiMombro began to preach that his child would lead the coming age and that they too were a cosmic being. The child was known as the Cosmic Child. Because of the arrival of the Cosmic Child, he began to parent members of the Order in order to have them reproduce special children. These children were supposed to help Emanuele bring the New Age. And not only did Marbo control who you're supposed to have a child with, but he also picked the names for your children. The 1980s went fairly well for the cult because of their pseudo-Christianity identity, they were allotted greater considerations than other organizations. Many people were sympathetic to the organization, and some people, to a smaller extent, agreed with some of the lesser radical ideas. The group of the Solar Temple took many of the ideas and steps from the Catholic religion, including steps in their own ceremonies. So many people on the outside just looked at it as a new sect of Christianity. 
Something not borrowed from the Catholic Church was the use of special effects during ceremonies. They used special sound and light effects to create an otherworldly atmosphere during their own ceremonies. This was in part just to add more weight to what was going on, but also to give it more of a you know cosmic nature. In 1990, the group began to see a change. People started to talk about leaving the group and donations started to dwindle. This was due to many reasons, the first being DeMarbo's son. Emanuele, who no longer went by that, but by Ellie, began to question the teachings of his father and Jornette. He doubted the idea of masters who guided his father and Jornette, and even expressed the illusions and special effects were fake during the ceremonies. This was a horrible blow to the group. Ellie was supposed to guide the group into the new age, but was speaking against them. The next problem was directly caused by Luke Jornette. In 1993, he was arrested for attempting to purchase illegal weapons. There were handguns with silencers. This was heavily publicized in Quebec and caused the group to fall out of favor in that area. It destroyed the group's reputation and put them on the police radar. So they had a good reputation before this? Like I, said, like I already said, they appear to be like a new branch of Christianity. And when you base your cult, your ideas around just kind of like a Christian kind of thing, Christians are more likely to look the other way. Oh, yeah, that does make sense. The last straw for the cult was DeMarbro's failing health. According to a former member, he had kidney problems, developed cancer, and he became incontinent. Well, that sounds like a lot of issues. Yeah, his health was really quickly failing. Everything him and Jordan had worked for was crumbling. Over 15 members left the group and his cosmic child was revolting against him. Plus, his own body had started to betray him. Now, the apocalyptic tones of the group were getting louder and louder. Leading the group to a path that would lead to mass murder and suicide. In 1993, Jorette and DeMarva began to talk about how the general public was resisting the new age, and that maybe the group needed to go to a higher plane. He would preach to his members, Will you still be on this earth when the world will go up through the darkest days of the history? But it is up to you to decide whether or not you will be present these ten times. He taught that the apocalypse was coming, but instead of surviving it on earth, they would be leaving before the apocalypse hit. This apocalyptic thinking brings out the worst in a group. If the world is ending, do any of your actions, including violent actions, matter? If a group is going to die soon, if everyone is going to die soon, what's to stop you from ending the life a little early, especially if your place in the higher plane is at stake? One of their earlier acts of violence was against Antonio Delote and his wife Nikki Robinson and their small child, Christopher Emmanuel. Christopher Emmanuel was only three months old. His parents had the audacity to name him without the permission of Dean Mabro and to put salt into their injury, he'd give him the same name as DeMarbro's own child. This angered DeMarbro, and he began to refer to the child as the Antichrist. He ordered two of his members to take care of the problem. The Detroits lived in St. Xavier, and on September 30th, went to another couple's house for dinner. The couple was also a member of the order, and they took their young child with them. As soon as the couple entered the house, they were savagely attacked. The killers ritually stabbed Christopher in the heart with stakes and attempted to set the house aflame. After this, they fled to Zurich, where they would eventually commit suicide. 
they stabbed a small child? With stakes in the heart, a three-month-year-old child. Oh my god. In the final days of the cult, DiMarbo spent his time writing letters, first explaining their beliefs and why they did what they did, and lastly, condemning all the people who had left the cult. Around October the 2nd, 1994, DiMarbo invited his closest members to the Last Supper at his home. In the Christian Bible, the Last Supper is an iconic meal that Jesus had with his followers before he was put to the cross as a sacrifice for humanity. But another thing that happened during the Last Supper was a great betrayal, and DiMarbo followed that as well. DiMarbo gave at least 30 members tranquilizers before they were either shot or smothered. The last 15 members placed themselves in a circle in a room surrounded by mirrors. Those 15 of the inner circle members committed suicide by poisoning. On October 4th, the residents of Sherry, Switzerland, saw fire on the edge of town. The same happened to Grages de Cervan by the morning, over 53 people had died across Switzerland and Quebec. Later in December of the same year, another 16 would also commit suicide. In 1957, the last five people would be taken by the ideologies of the group. Luckily, three teenagers survived because they refused to take the poison. And they shed some much needed light on the group and their practices. Over time, there has been much speculation as to what members were murdered and what members committed suicide. Family members to this day still fight for their loved ones, insisting that they never would have committed suicide. But most of them didn't know that their family members were even part of the group. How would you know how committed they were to the cult if you didn't even know they were in it? Exactly. It's just one of those really sad things where you don't want to admit that your family member could do something like that, someone that you love. And there is, you know, a lot of evidence. There's evidence both sides, you know. A lot of them were poisoned or tranquilized. A lot of them had multiple gun wounds. So it's just, it's one of those things where it, it could go either way. And I suggest you guys do your own research to put yourself on what side of the fence you want to be on. Well, is it a possibility that's a case-by-case basis where some people committed suicide and some people were murdered, not one or the other? That's exactly what I think happened. I think, you know, like I said, the core members... I think the core members committed suicide, but most of the people that were invited to this, I don't think had any idea what was going to happen. Because in writings by, in in some of the writings he left behind, it even says that some members may be hesitant to go to the next plane and we should gently help them. Or gentle, meaning murder. You know, how the cult leaders do. Yeah, a casual poisoning and shooting. Very casual. Very, very lucky. Well, he didn't. Okay, so I think the people that poison that were poisoned poisoned themselves, and I think that the people that were shot were murdered. Okay. Well, I guess I don't know if you did a lot of research into those shooting people, but were they self? Could they have been self-inflicted bullet wounds? Uh, some of them could have been, but like, there's a few of them that had multiple gun wounds, and I can't like in weird places. So it's like I can't think you'd like shoot yourself in the arm and then go shoot yourself in the face. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I agree. That seems yeah. a little far fetched. Yeah, it's like I can't go specifically in a case by case basis. There's 53 people that were murdered or slash committed suicide, and it would take like that's a whole podcast on itself going through each one of those cases. Join us next week as we talk about every single one of these cases in excruciating detail. <laughs> exactly. 
But like I said, I really suggest you guys look into this on your own and make your own decisions on it. You know, I only have so much time to research these cases and it, no matter how fascinated I am and how much I really try to get everything that's out there, it's just so hard when you're seeing facts on one side and you're seeing a mother being saying, my son would never do this. Well, yeah, and at the end of the day, we are not, we were not there. Exactly. <laughs> and we can't, spe- we can only speculate on what's going on and what happened. Yeah, because originally the police labeled the whole thing as suicide. Every single person, the police labeled them as suicide to begin out with. Yeah, but multiple gunshot wounds doesn't seem like a suicide to me. Well, and if there's an option of poisoning, why would you choose gunshot wound? Well, it just depends on the type of person you are as well, because people, you know, commit suicide all the time. And so people do poison themselves while others decide to, instead of poisoning, shit themselves. It just depends on the kind of person you are on how you want to commit suicide. Yeah, that's an excellent point. The Order of the Solar Temple was very secretive. This cloak of secrets kept the family members from trying to help their loved ones get out before it was too late. Because, how are you supposed to get a family member out of a cult if you don't even realize they're in one? So Jamie, is there anybody that's still involved in the cult today? As far as I know, the cult's not active. You know, anyone who was a serious member of the cult committed suicide. Or if you were close enough, you know, were murdered. And then everyone left over was like, no, that's not for me. Too much. Too far. Yeah, that does check out. Makes sense. <laughs> like, even the three teenagers that were left over, their parents committed suicide. And they're like, you know, commit, you know, take this poison. We're going to go to the higher plane. And they were like, yeah, no, mom. No, dad. Not, not happening. That's a big N-O for me. Okay, guys, so that's the end of the case. I thought this order was really interesting, and I have not covered a Swiss cult up to this point. So I probably pronounced a lot of the French names and Swiss names not amazing. So go ahead and get on our Instagram and let me know how I did. And in other news, me and Nicole have finally launched our Patreon. It is running. It is up to date. It is going. We are so excited and so happy to introduce this to you guys. Yeah, guys, so go ahead and check out our Patreon to check all the tiers out and get a little information. So the link to our Patreon is going to get on our Instagram soon. But if you wanted to go ahead and look it up yourself, it's patreon.com slash cultsandcrime. There will be some bonus content, some early releases on our episodes, there'll be, as well as forums and giveaways. And most importantly, ad-free episodes. Oh I know I God. love a good ad-free I agree. Like, who wants to listen to ads? So, if you love cults and crime, but hate commercials, and want to get your episodes sometimes a little early. And also, if you just want to support us. Oh my god, please help us. (laughs) (laughs) We are starving. We're not. We good. And if you just want to, yeah, like she said, if you want to support us, go on to patreon.com slash cults and crime, or go on our Instagram, and go on to our Linktree page. Uh, next week, we're going to be talking about a crime. Yes, Nicole, what crime are we covering? All right, Jamie, so we're going to be talking about Aisha Degree. She was born in North Carolina and disappeared February 14th, 2000, at the age of nine. Oh, man, I hate the kid ones. They make me so sad. So this case is sad for so many reasons, and it's an odd one, to say the least. There's so many, there's so much speculation around her disappearance. 
as well as if she, there's even the potential that she ran away from home. But you know, I'll get into all of that next week. Okay guys, see you next week. Bye. Bye guys. Production by Jamie. Production and editing by Nicole. Our intro music is Wrong by Dan Henning. Our background music is In Albany, New York by the 129ers.